I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. Episode 50 Wizzy. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Move your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to A Half Hour Wasted, the podcast that introduced the term Dalek. And now, here are your hosts, Brad Milo and Frank A. Rincon. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Half Hour Wasted. This is Brad. Frank's uh, busy. He's uh, walking his dog or something. This is the second part of our Dallas Comic-Con interviews. Yeah, I know. I, I thought this would be a boring show, too, but I've already listened to it, and uh, it's pretty interesting, actually. We talked to uh, six people in this show, Cat Skaggs, Brian Denham, and Terry Moore, just to name a few. Uh, Frank talks to Terry Moore about his new series, Echo. Kind of interested in that. I never read Strangers in Paradise, but this one sounds a little bit more up my alley. So we hope you enjoy this show. We will be back next week, if all goes well, with the uh, aforementioned uh, Superman show uh, with Adam Murdo from Comic Geek Speak. And then the week after that, we will have our most highly anticipated episode to date, the much-talked-about, the much-anticipated Aquaman Life Retrospective. Y'all enjoy. Okay, and here I'm talking to Kat Skaggs. Kat, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Great. Now, what are you working on right there? Um, right now I'm doing a sketch for uh, my friend Adam here of uh, The Mummy. Yeah, he's got the... Uh, is that... Um, I get my actors confused. That's not Bella Lugosi. That's a... Uh, Boris Karloff. Okay. And he's got the fez on. Yes. He has to have the fez on. <laughs> Looks awesome. So you're most known for the uh, Star Wars cards, correct? Right. Uh, yeah, I've done uh, quite a few projects with uh, with Lucasfilm and Star Wars. Um, Celebration exclusive uh, lithos and then um, a handful of card sets. And uh, do you get direction from those or do they just tell you, hey, I need... Uh, I need a Bobo Fett. Warning. Warning. New Year's resolution violation. For the card sets, it's pretty much here. We're doing uh, New Hope. So anything for New Hope, go. And then we just draw whatever we want related to that movie. Okay. Uh, any other projects right now? Uh, I've got Indiana Jones. Um, another card set. Also, Lord of the Rings, uh, Masterpieces 2, which comes out in a couple of weeks, and Heroes trading card set, which comes out in uh, a week or two as well. Well, that should actually be exciting, the Heroes yeah, one. Heroes pretty cool. Now, the Indiana Jones, is that related to the new movie? Both. There's uh, 
there's a set that uh, is strictly the first three films, uh, which is the one I'm working on now, and there's talks of doing one strictly for the new film. I was going to ask you if you had a chance to see the movie, which I guess you haven't. No, 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 not even close. I wouldn't be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So um, so you do a lot a lot of portraits. Why, why is that? Is, that? is that just your specialty? or? That's just something I, yeah, I just always have, um, I've always done portraits since I was a kid. I've been doing portraits, and it's just where I gravitated to. Some people are good at buildings. I'm good at people. <laughs> and where do you uh, where you get your training? Um, I I ended up getting a fine art degree from University of Texas in San Antonio. UTSA. I went to UTSA in, uh, too. In uh, portrait, in I specialized in portrait painting and drawing. Um, but uh, that's about as formal as it gets. Did you stay at Crimson Hall, the dormitory? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did. I stayed in Crimson. <laughs> so you're a fellow roadrunner. I am a fellow roadrunner. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay. Well, uh, any characters that you uh, that are really challenging for you to um, to work on, you know, in the Star Wars universe or any universe at all? Um. Yeah. Uh, anybody semi mechanical, like Iron Man. Darth Vader, or I mean Boba Fett, I can kind of that one's all right, but usually um, I, I like I prefer to do more fluid figures, so to speak, rather than the mechanical. Right, because they're just hard. I mean, I guess it's hard to get an expression out of a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to get an expression. <laughs> yeah, I need Darth Vader to look happy. Can you do that? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. What's your website? It's www.airbrushcat.com. And do you take commissions there? Uh, Right now, no. Hopefully in a couple of months I'll be able to open it back up and take them, but for now, no, I'm not taking any. Best best way to get them is at a show. Great. Well, Kat, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Okay, and I'm here with co-founder Scott Chitwood with Red 5 Comics. Scott, how are you? Hey, good, good. So, uh, so tell me about your, uh, your, your company. I'm not familiar with, uh, with Red 5 Comics. We are, uh, Red 5 Comics. We are a brand new publisher. We just got started in October of 2007. And, uh, we debuted with four titles. We've got, uh, Atomic Robo, which is, uh, getting a, it's our bestseller. It's getting a lot of press. It's, um, kind of Hellboy meets Rocketeer. It's a lot of action adventure and a lot of humor, too. It's a lot of witty dialogue. And um, it's been a big draw for us. Now, how are you distributing? Are you through Diamond? or we are through Diamond, yes. Yes, so all of our titles can be ordered through them. Um, all of the back issues are still available, but um, we did sell out of the first print of Atomic Robo number 1, and we started. We did a second print with an alternate cover. We're uh, pretty close to selling out of Atomic Robo number 2, and we're not going to reprint it. It's just too expensive to do it. So, But we will be doing a trade paperback, and we are doing a free comic book day comic and it'll ha- it'll be an original Atomic Robo story. And the initial story arc has six issues, but we are going to be continuing it as an ongoing series. So with that first story arc, just give me the highlights. What happens in it? Um, well, Atomic Robo is an a artificial intelligence. He was a robot built by Nikolai Tesla in the 1920s. Nice! Yeah, yeah. And it, <laughs> it, 
it follows him through his adventures through World War II. Uh, it, it, each issue takes a different snapshot of him through time. You know, we, we see him fighting Nazis in issue one. In issue two, he's fighting giant ants in the 50s. Uh, <laughs> in issue three, he's fighting a, ro- uh, a moving pyramid and robotic mummies. And then issue four, he goes to Mars as part of the Viking mission. So it's funny. Each issue gets progressively more funny, and um, uh, it's just been a really great series. Is it, is it an all-ages series? It, uh, yeah, I, I would call it PG-13. I mean, there is, a, there is a little bit of language, a little bit, but there's no sex, you know, that sort of thing. So um, it just depends on what you want your kid to see, I guess. <laughs> well, the character sounds a lot of fun. Uh, who else do you have on, on, your, uh, on your roster? We also are doing a superhero comedy called Abyss. It is by the guys that did Star Wars Tag and Bink. And, and I'm familiar with them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Kevin Rubio also did the Star Wars fan film Troops. It's uh, this kid uh, inherits his father's fortune. Then he discovers that his dad was the world's biggest supervillain. So he tries to go right the wrongs that his dad did and with with mixed results. So <laughs> it's very funny. Each, each Again, each issue gets progressively better. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's been a really good seller for us as well. And Neozoic is our other title. It's what if the dinosaurs hadn't been killed off and humans and, and dinosaurs had evolved side by side. Uh, it's written by my co, uh, co-owner of Red 5, Paul Inns. And uh, it's got a, a, a new art team, uh, Jay Karim and Jesse Lamb. They just do absolutely beautiful artwork for us. Um, you can see it on our website, red5comics.com. Great. Now let me ask you, why Red 5? We are a bunch of Star Wars geeks. I was uh, one of the co-founders of TheForce.net. No way! Uh, yeah, and my partner ran StarWars.com during the prequels. He worked for Lucasfilm. You, you know, I have to tell you that uh, uh, TheForce.net, it, it fed my uh, my um, my need for news during oh, the prequels. Yeah. I mean, you guys did a great job. <laughs> yeah, and, and pretty much all everybody that is doing the comics for us are involved in Star Wars in some way. Tom Hodges does Midnight, and he was a Star Wars artist for Lucasfilm. Um, Matt Bush did the covers for Afterburn, which is a, a title that Paul Enns and I co-wrote, and he's a Star Wars artist as well. Obviously, Kevin Rubio did Troops, and and uh, Paul wrote Neozoic as well. So, yeah, we are definitely a bunch of Star Wars geeks. That's aw- that's awesome. And what's that website again? It's red the number five comics dot com. Fantastic. Well, we thank. We have a list of all of our comics. We have the Diamond Order numbers you can order all the back issues so all right fantastic thanks for your time thank you appreciate it and here I'm speaking to Cully Hamner. How are you doing today, Cully? I'm doing good. I'm Great. Doing good. Okay, so you started with the original, or not the original, but the revamp of the uh, Blue Beetle, right? Well, uh, what do you mean by started? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> the have been around quite a long time. Yeah, but, uh, all right, well, with Blue Beetle, with issue number one, the, the current Blue Beetle? Right, yeah. I, I was hired to do the uh, to do the revamp, uh, the redesign uh, on the character, and um, I kind of, you know, got it going with, uh, with Keith Giffen and John. Rogers and uh, I did uh, about six issues and they basically basically kind of launched the character and then Raphael Albuquerque took over. Well, let's talk about that design because it's really different. Did you did you design it from the ground up? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically what they what I was given was they wanted to do sort of a kind of a 
a mechanized suit kind of a thing, but they wanted it. The original idea that they had was for it to be more of a, you know, like like a, a transformer or something like that. Okay. And I kind of thought that maybe that was the wrong way to go because for one thing, I thought it would be hard for somebody to draw every month. So uh, my idea was to basically have it be more like a second skin. And uh, you know, I've always been a big believer in, in uh, characters having a silhouette. You know, like you, you see a silhouette of Batman, you know it's Batman. Yeah. And I, I kind of thought, you know, I wanted the character to have, you know, kind of a recognizable shape. So that's why he's got those big pincers, you know, on his on his back and everything. And um, you know, it seems to have worked out all right. But yeah, I, I, it was sort of a ground up sort of a thing. The only real nod to the uh, to the Ted Cord Blue Beetle is the graphic that's on his chest. Uh, but other than that, it's a pretty straight from you know straight from my brain kind of a situation. I do love the pincers. That's a great ad because I can remember. I, th- I guess it was during Infinite Crisis that we were introduced to him, right. and I was the first time I saw him. I thought, why does he have those antennas coming up? And then later it's revealed what it is and how the suit. Well, and it was funny because like that was not something that was written. That was something that I just threw on there and the writers ran with. You know, um, it's funny because in the intervening time, I've, people have shown me um, that back in uh, Kingdom Come, that Alex Ross did something kind of similar. It's not the same design, but they both had that sort of shape. Um, uh, I had not seen that, or I, I, if I had seen it, I didn't remember it. But um, yeah, it was kind of funny that we both sort of went in that same direction. It's a, it's in, a, in different ways, you know. Oh, totally different ways, yeah. So uh, so tell me, what are you working on currently? Uh, I'm doing Black Lightning Year One for uh, DC uh, with Jennifer Van Meter, who is, uh, uh, she's written a, a, a miniseries called Cinnamon for Vertigo, and she did a, like a JLA classified. She does an independent book called uh, Hopeless Savages. Um, really good writer. We're having a, a lot of fun working with her. Well, so what are you going to bring to Jefferson Pierce? How are you going to make, uh, what, uh, are you going to change his costume, or what does a Year One Jefferson Pierce costume look like? Well, uh, it's not like a radical kind of a rethink of, of like where the character came from. There, there are a couple of, of minor uh, changes to kind of bring him more in line with like the way the character is now, as, as far as like you know the fact that he's got a daughter and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, as far as the design of his costume, uh, my attitude on it was really just how much can I keep without? I mean, how much can I keep from changing on his costume? I wanted it to look like the '70s Black Lightning, but without doing like sort of a without it looking dated so I, I did make a few changes but they're very they're very minor the lines of the character are the same you know the, the, the iconography of how he looks is about the same yeah DC's been doing this this year one stuff they just right. did Green Arrow and Metamorpho and I'm really I didn't really realize that they were doing a, a Black Lightning that's yeah, pretty awesome doing Teen Titans also Car, uh, Carl Kershaw I think is drawing that beautiful stuff actually everybody that's been doing the year one stuff that I've seen so far uh, Jock you know all these guys are just I mean I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> These guys are just all brilliant, you know. Well, let's talk about some things you've worked on in the past. What are some of the titles you've worked on? Uh, I started uh, in 1991. I, I was doing a, a comic called Green Lantern Mosaic, which was the John Stewart comic. Um, uh, I've done uh, uh, Firearm. I've done uh, Silver Surfer. I've you know Titans, uh, Authority, Batman, a little bit of X Men, a little bit of Spider Man. I've, I've pretty much worked on you know a, a lot of a, a range of stuff. I've you know worked on the Ride for Twelve Gauge Comics. Um, did a, a creator own book called Red with Warren Ellis for Wildstorm. Yeah, uh, this was a, a, an espionage book about a retired uh, CIA agent, um, and uh, I. I 
worked on a, a, another creator on uh, another book that Warren owns called Down that actually Tony Harris started but couldn't finish so I had to come in and do the last three issues of that um, you know a lot of stuff like that what what uh, what characters the hardest for you to draw what character do you like <laughs> like if you get assigned to him you're like oh gosh you know I I was imagining the thing because he's got all those tiles I've stuff. never really drawn the thing but um I don't really know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where what, whenever I draw a character, I, I usually try to put my own spin on it. So I I, I, I usually find something of interest, so there's, it's not boring for me. So I, I don't know that there's any, that there's a single character that is boring for me to draw. Well, you did a great job with with the current Blue Beetle. Um, if you had to re, if you could revamp Superman, you have to revamp Superman. Give him a totally new look. What would you do? Right at the top of your head. I'm not sure that I would do much. I mean, that would be one of those situations like like uh, Black Lightning, where I would. I, it, to me, it would be how much can you keep. It would be little tweaks here and there. Um, it wouldn't be a situation like you know where I'd give him like epaulets or something, you know, something stupid like that. I would keep the basic lines of the costume. Maybe make a, maybe make one or two things bigger, one or two things smaller. You know, change the you know slightly kind of alter the lines a little bit. But I wouldn't really change much yeah, because that, like it or not, that costume, much like Spider-Man's costume, Batman's costume, it's a classic, and there's a reason it's a classic. So. I don't really think you should do more than you know a, a ten or twenty percent revamp on any any character like that. And I guess that's why Blue Beetle was easy to do because he's not really yeah. a classic hero. It's it's he's not. I mean, you know, for all the 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 kind of uh, noise that was made about you know about killing Ted Cord. Uh, nobody seemed to be really interested in that character until he was dead. You know, and it's it's a, a sad fact, but it's true. I mean, it was not a character that could support his own title, and people are actually way more interested in now interested in him now that they can't get him anymore. <laughs> so, you know. If they ever, you know, if they ever uh, end up doing, you know, a relaunch of that version of Blue Beetle, which you know could happen, you know, anything can happen in comics. Uh, people will be a lot more interested in him, I think, because they, you know, they simply haven't had access to him. He's, he's been unavailable to them. You know, much like uh, Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan, oh, yeah. when he the, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern was not selling well when they did when they brought the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern there in there, and then you know, ten years later, they bring Hal Jordan back, and he's like a big deal. You know. So I mean I'm not saying that that, that is what's going to happen with Blue, with Blue Beetle. I mean I, obviously I don't know. That's too far down the road. And this this version of the character is very successful so far. Yeah, I've heard him referred to as DC's version of Spider-Man because he too, you know, and and people seem to like it. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think you're right. And plus he, there's that great uh, Buster um, Booster Gold uh, crossover. I think the next couple issues they're going to have something with uh, with all the Blue Beetles in it. That'd be cool. That'd be very cool. We're great. What's your website? Uh, the website is gaijinstudios.com. It's G-A-I-J-I-N studios.com. And we'll put a link on our website. Great. Thanks a lot for your time. And I'm here speaking to Matt Sturgis. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Good. Okay, so you're working on the countdown to Mystery Fables, but you're also better known for, is it Jack of Fables? I co-write Jack of Fables with Bill Willingham. Okay. And I'm also the regular writer on Shadow Pact right now. And, oh, okay. Uh, and on Salvation Run, the Salvation Run miniseries. No way. Okay, I just started on Salvation Run. A lot of fun. Uh, I get my stuff through mail order, so I haven't gotten three yet. I got, I, I've just read one and two. Yeah, three and, is the first issue that I wrote of that. Okay, great. 
great. Well, let me ask you about, uh, so you you co-write uh, Jack and Fable. Now, I'm not familiar with the series. Sell it to me. Tell me about it. Jack is uh, Jack Corner. He is the Jack from every fairy tale or nursery rhyme pretty much that you've ever heard of. He's Jack Be Nimble. He's uh, Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk. He's Jack the Giant Killer. He has been there and done it all. And in the regular Fable series, he uh, pulled one too many scams and he got kicked out of Fable Town forever. So now he's on the road uh, across America, getting into troubles with his sidekick, the pathetic fallacy. And uh, it is just one wacky set of hijinks after another. <laughs> That's great. Well, okay. Well, let's talk about um, your work on DC right now. You just told me uh, you're on Salvation Run. Uh, Countdown to Mystery. I'm kind of curious, how much direction is DC giving you as to where that storyline needs to go since it's all headed towards this Final Crisis story arc? Right. Well, the way those things work in my experience is that um, you know, because there's a larger story going on, um, you're given mainly a beginning point and an end point, and maybe some beats in between that... uh that things that need to happen because the, for instance, there was a pretty significant event that happened in Countdown 17 that coincided with Countdown to Mystery Number 4, which I won't spoil in case people haven't read it, but those things obviously had to coincide because it showed the same event from two different perspectives. Um, but, uh, you know, within that context, you know, I'm pretty much free to do a lot of what I want to do to tell my story. Mm-hmm. Now, concerning Salvation Run, is that going to play into the Final Crisis storyline as well? Well, you know, they don't tell me everything. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So, I, I mean, I know what what the goals are for that story in in its own context, and I know what the story that I want to tell. Uh, and, and mainly, um, as far as Salvation Run is concerned, what it really boils down to is the situation with all these villains on this planet and how they react to being trapped together. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's a referendum between how the Joker uh, takes care of business and how Lex Luthor takes care of business and how those two uh, uh, do or do not get along. Um, But you can draw your conclusions about that. Um, And yes, that does tie into uh, the events that everything's leading up to in the DCU right now. But I think the story also stands alone pretty well. All right, let's go back to Fables. So I just see it's a a Vertigo vertigo title. How long have you... uh, How many issues is is it? uh, Uh, Well, issue 18 of Jack of Fables just came out this month, and I don't see any endpoint to it so far. We're going to ride it as long as they'll let us. The the parent title, Fables, is obviously doing very well. Uh, it's consistently one of uh, Vertigo's bestsellers, and Jack has been doing pretty well, too, so I think we'll be around for a while. Okay, that's great. So it looks like you're probably going to be with DC for a while. I mean, they, since they got you on the whole, whole crisis bandwagon, writing all the other stories and stuff like that. Can you tell us any other projects you have coming up? Yes. In fact, uh, in May, the first issue of House of Mystery comes out, which I am writing uh, also with Bill Willingham. And that book uh, concerns a bunch of people who are stuck in a bar who serve food and drinks, but instead of taking money, they take stories for payment because they're bored as hell and they can't go anywhere. That is awesome. (laughs) And each issue uh, contains an inset story, which is... Uh, a story told by someone at the bar and those issues are going to be written uh, for the first story arc are all going to be written by Bill 
Bellingham, and they'll be illustrated by different artists for each issue. And so far, we've got uh, uh, we've got Ross Campbell, we've got Jill Thompson, and we tentatively have Bernie Wrightson for one. Story. Well, so this sounds kind of kind of interesting because I remember that um, that DC had a series called House of Mystery. So I guess this is just revamping it and trying something new. It absolutely is. And uh, for anyone who's read Sandman, you know that the House of Mystery and its caretaker Kane were uh, supporting characters in Sandman. And there's a little bit of a wink and a nod to that in our story. Um, But it definitely very quickly heads off in its own direction. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much. And what's your website? Uh, It's www.matthewsturgis.com. Great. We'll put that in our show notes. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. And here I have Brian Denham, who's worked on Iron Man Hypervelocity. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. So tell me, how'd you get the gig on uh, Iron Man Hypervelocity? Uh, I had some buddies that are colors at uh, Marvel Comics called uh, Guru Effects, and um, uh, they had called me out of the blue and said they they're about to start on this book, Iron Man Hypervelocity, written by Adam Warren, and um, uh, they're about to go with this other artist, and I should have drawn it. And uh, I was like, well, can you recommend me for the work? And they're like, no, no, we can't recommend. And you. I was like, oh man, well, can you send me the script? And so they agreed to send me the script, and uh, they said, well, if you want to try to submit, the editor's uh, uh, choosing on Friday. And so from Monday to Thursday, I drew 11 pages of the script and sent it in, and uh, the editor called me back, and she said she was going to go with somebody else, but uh, she'd really like me to draw this Iron Man book if I wanted to, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> I was on the food line, so uh, I was really excited. Well, tell me about, so what? So what's the premise of... Um of hypervelocity. Uh, hypervelocity is uh, Tony Stark developed a new armor for Iron Man, and um, uh, it comes equipped with a virtual avatar of uh, of his enemy, and uh, it's slowly uh, degrading his uh, programming. And uh, he gets Iron Man gets uh, beat up really bad, where his mind gets uploaded into the armor, and uh, the armor becomes sentient, and uh, it tries to uh, protect itself. Wow, that. That is, I get, never heard of the storyline. That's actually pretty awesome. Well, that's cool. Uh, what other uh, what other books have you worked on? Um, this last year, I've done a book uh, Nova. I did uh, helped out on that with uh, Sean Chin. I did uh, Thunderbolts Breaking Point. Um, I did a Gears of War number zero issue for Boom Studios, and I did a, a Man Thing number two um, for a, a new Marvel horror title. And uh, I'm about to find out what I get uh, for the rest of the year. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big man. Uh, man thing uh fan too how, how did you handle man thing oh i loved uh, man thing and uh I, I was really excited to draw on it i just did tons of uh, leaves and growth and all that kind of stuff on it <laughs> okay what's your website uh it's briandenham.com great we'll put it in our show notes and uh, and i'll let you know when it comes out all right okay. uh, thank you thank you, thank you man Okay, so here I am with Terry Moore. Terry, I want to talk to you about Echo. So new, it just got it, it's just in previews right now. I want to ask you about a line. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a five page preview mm-hmm. that's out right now, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but this stood out. This the only line I think that's in there. Um, they say they don't bounce for some reason. That spoke to me. I don't know. Does that? Have, can you say if that has special significance? That line. Yes, it's in the story actually, and it's not anatomical, by the way. <laughs> 
it's talking about this uh, the basic starting point for Echo is this uh, young woman is in the desert California desert taking uh, photographs and there's this huge explosion in the sky over her and the fallout from the explosion is these soft liquid metal raindrops they're like hell and they pour down all over her in this area and uh, they don't bounce they stick to her and then my story goes on from there great so I guess you have it all planned out yes I have the first three trades all written out and at home on my computer and uh, is there a definite end to the series no there isn't as a matter of fact uh, there's only a uh, a point where we can get through the initial three big story arcs and um, after that it's kind of open-ended depends on what how it's received okay great so I'm, I know a lot of fans are looking forward to this because um, you know you just you just finished a run on on, uh, on strangers so this is the next big project what, what would you say someone to sell it to them this is you know they don't know whether they should pick it up how would you sell it to them how would you sell echoes I would beg <laughs> and, and I would offer cash and, um, well I, I, I'm hoping that people will enjoy it uh, and certainly I hope that they give it a try it's uh, basically it, it's a think of it as the fugitive meets the X-Files um, but with a woman involved and I, I wanted I thought that SAP was kind of uh, uh, domestic in a way it's something that interests me um, it's an idea that I created last summer so it's very now it's it's things that I'm into right now it's not some old idea that I dusted off um, and you know I wanted to do something really different from Strangers in Paradise, which had a lot of domestic settings and let's go into the house and argue and stuff like that. And I wanted some action and all that. So this this series hits the ground running. The first five pages, a woman wearing a jetpack is shot down out of the sky by an F-15. So that'll give you an idea of the tone of the story. Yeah, it's totally just... Um, well, there, there was a quietness to it, and you can almost see the character... You know, as the character's experiencing all of this, the photograph, uh, the person taking the pictures on... Um, on on the um, in the on the desert floor, and she's trying to figure everything out. And I just remember seeing that first. You know, I, I always thought that first line. We already discussed it about they don't bounce. That just for some reason that spoke to me, and I think this is going to have deeper meaning later on. But uh, is there are there layers to your story that uh, that will be explored later on? Absolutely. It's um, it's an action story, but it's me doing an action story. So I'm really interested in the um, what's inside underneath. The skin and how what's making these people tick what's how somebody survives all this stuff in the world and how they do it you know psychologically and emotionally that's the things that I really explore um, so there's there's a lot of action but uh, there's a lot of um, I'm exploring the, the who what when where and why, why and how of all that well fantastic well Terry uh, what's your website we'll have people go to it terrymoreart.com. Very easy. Okay, thanks for your time and have a good con, okay? Thank you very much.